Okay, hello everybody. We're doing a second uh, Zoom recording here and it'll be, uh, of course, um, listed for you. And we're gonna call this uh, chapter two, uh, also called Wealth and Power, the Bias of the System. This is a sort of uh, overview of that chapter in the Zinn and Eitzen textbook. And I wanna make a few things clear uh, about this chapter and what it's about um, and so on. And uh, we'll continue here. We won't eventually have a lecture on all of the chapters in this book, but a fair number of them. And my job is to kind of clarify and complement some of the things that Zinnonites and talk about uh, 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 specific uh, social problems. Okay, so this is about wealth and power uh, and bias in the system. And they mean that in our society, uh, it means that uh, rich people, okay, not only have economic uh, power and economic privilege, but that wealth, that great wealth concentrated in the hands of a very small percentage of our population, rich people, to put it simply. And these are generally rich capitalist people, okay, usually connected to big corporations and so on. There is an elite few, you know, uh, some people talk about less than 1% of the population that are very, very wealthy and they're getting wealthier all the time. And a kind of growing mass of struggling working class people and people suffering poverty and so on in our society. And so there's more and more poor people. And so we refer to this as a growing class inequality. And uh, along with this, sadly, is a greater and greater concentration of wealth in fewer and fewer hands, so to speak. Fewer and fewer people have greater and greater wealth while there's greater numbers of people struggling to make ends meet. Okay, working class people, poor people, and now even the middle class, the famous middle class of America is shrinking. And in fact, the second book that we have you read for this course called The Betrayal of the American Dream will make this, um, this reality of a shrinking middle class clear to you and explain why that's happening. And this is not good for most of us because most of us are probably either struggling low-income families, maybe uh, lower middle-class families and so on. Um, this is your background. We know the class background of most students who come to Western Oregon University, okay? Now, so part of this chapter is to make clear to you about this growing class inequality and so on that's growing in America. And it's been well-documented by a number of scholars Okay, Robert Reich, uh, Joseph Stiglitz, uh, uh, Thomas Piketty, and others, fine internationally known scholars. Uh, Stiglitz is a Nobel Prize winning scholar, and their very careful scholarship and research indicates that there is this growing, awful uh, class inequality growing in the United States and growing around the world with the concentration of wealth and ever greater struggle for working people. 
and I'm being a little redundant, but I want you to make sure you, you understand this very uh, uh, prominent growing problem in the United States. All right. Now, the first thing they want you to understand is that corporate capitalism is mostly the basis of this growing class inequality. And a little background on capitalism. What do we mean by capitalism? Let's just talk briefly about what do we mean by capitalism? We are a capitalist economic system. All right. Well, you got to start with capital. What do you mean by capital? Okay. And I'm going to give you kind of the, the easier, simpler versions of this. Okay. It doesn't mean it's inaccurate. It just means it's a more basic version of uh, this explanation of capitalism. All right. Capital is any investment that you make with at least the anticipation of a profit, a return greater than the value of the investment. Okay, that's kind of simple, right? Capitalism is operates supposedly in a free market system where people are free if they can put together enough investment funds to uh, start a business, grow a business, uh, without government interference, that's the classical notion of a free market economy, or sometimes they use that, that awful French term, a laissez-faire economy, right? So you have uh, investments in capital, okay? Uh, businesses that produce goods and services, uh, hopefully for a return from their point of view, that generates a profit a return greater than, of course, the investment. Kind of simple, common sense. All right, and our economy, and you could say even to a certain extent, our society is driven by investment and pursuit of profits, profits, profits. Okay, and there's some good and bad news about all of that. And we'll, as we go along, we'll talk about that. The one's really big, bad news about all of that we've just suggested is that it can create this growing uh, class inequality, rich and poor, okay, and greater and greater wealth concentrated in the hands of less than 1% of the population at the top, and so on. All right, there are three types of capital, three types of capital, three forms of capital, you could say. And the bedrock of uh, capitalism, though, is investment in what we might call industrial or productive capital. That is investment in things like factories and plants and mills to produce a commodity. A commodity is something you're going to take to the market and sell. It could be investment in producing a toothbrush. It could be investment in producing an automobile. It could be investment in producing a, uh, uh, you know, custom steel girders for buildings or whatever. Okay, uh, and so on. And the system depends upon, you know, in some sense, or starts with investment in industrial capital, commodities, or you could say products. They're going to be uh, entered the marketplace and be sold in the capitalist hopes, generally speaking, for a profit. All right. So there's industrial capital, first form. That would be, uh, you know, uh, steel corporations like the great U.S. Steel. It could be the Toyota automobile company. It could be uh, Apple, you see, producing computers and cell phones and all kinds of electronic 
commodities and so on. All right, so we got industrial capital. A second type of capital, right, uh, is we could call it uh, mercantile, as the British might use the term, or just merchant capital. Some people use the term uh, uh, commercial capital. Okay, we use the term commercial capital generally. This are, these are corporations that don't produce commodities, they distribute them, they sell them. This would be companies that deal with the wholesale or and or retail of commodities, okay? That their basic thing is to buy uh, various commodities and sell them to you. And we have two giants that you all know about. One would be Amazon and the other Walmart. These are giant global corporations that are very profitable uh, and make a lot of wealth for an elite few. And these are examples of commercial capital, okay? So we got production and we got distribution, right? Okay, industrial corporations, commercial corporations. And sometimes they, they mix. Walmart actually owns now a few factories that produce goods. Uh, mostly in China, by the way, but nonetheless. So the investments can mix a bit, but still there's this basic functions here and the different forms of capital, production, distribution, pretty simple. All right, the third that we all know about is called financial capital. And I'm sure most of you, all of you got a credit card and so on. You understand finance, that's extending, in a sense, loans to people, long-term, short-term, gives you credit, it's the establishment of credit lines, credits, uh, you know, to uh, buy groceries, credit lines to buy a car, credit lines uh, to buy a home, a mortgage is a serious long-term credit line, okay? And we usually think of banks, although other corporations now or other uh, companies other than banks also can extend credit now. Uh, some insurance companies establish lines of credit also, but we usually think of banks, okay? And financial capital uh, you know, extends credit, uh, promotes the marketplace, and is a cornerstone anymore, you know, in the capitalist economy. You know, think of the way we buy cars, houses, the role of credit cards, and so on and so forth, okay? So we got the three kinds of capital. They have... Uh, you know, uh, the different functions, production, distribution, finance, and they all kind of work together, you know, to move commodities from production to distribution and to consumption and so on, okay? And you think, you can almost think of a circuit of capital that includes production, distribution, finance, and consumption, and then back, okay? A circuit with the different kinds of capital involved. All right, now, the capitalist system, meaning all of those businesses with a focus on big corporations, okay, that produce, distribute, and finance, you see, um, they have, uh, uh, these are in the corporate form. These are companies that generally sell shares uh, in the stock market, so you can invest in Walmart, you can invest you know, and uh, I think you can invest in Amazon, although they were a private corporation for a while, you can certainly invest in some of the banking corporations. But corporations usually mean that they sell stock to the public on the stock market as a way to raise funds for their expansion and development, etc. 
okay? And corporations have board of directors. The board of directors are the primary or big stockholders. Boards of directors, you know, have a chairperson that's usually, but not always, the biggest stockholder in the corporations. And is the board of the directors that hires the top manager is usually called a chief executive officer, CEO for short, and they uh, run the company, they hire other level managers, managers who hire the workers, you have managers that are into marketing, managers into the industrial design of the corporation, if it's a, you know, industrial type business and so on, okay? So corporations. And uh, capitalism is dominated, literally, you could say, controlled by these big corporations. And these corporations are global, okay? They may claim to be American, but their production, distribution, and finance is on a global scale, okay? And sometimes this is the basic meaning of the term of globalization. Capitalism is a global system, increasingly, okay? I think most of you know that a huge proportion of the, the uh, products that we buy that called consumer durables, things we buy from clothes uh, to electronics to even cars, you see uh, many of them are made outside the United States, okay? Some of you know that a large proportion of the things that we buy are made in China, some stuff made in Mexico, Central America, all over the world, okay? And we might add the places where uh, that produce increasingly our consumer durables are often terrible places called sweatshops where workers are paid uh, barely a subsistence wage, usually no benefits. They're not allowed to form unions. Uh, they're completely uh, dominated by the bosses, have no rights and so on, okay? And China, of course, is famous for its sweatshops. I might not, I might add that even a company I'm sure you're familiar with, Nike is famous, or you could say notorious for the sweatshops that it has uh, generated in China to produce its multiple products. Of course, you know, mostly shoes. Okay. So we have a capitalist system, all right, that is global. It's dominated by big, global corporations, and here's a term to use, okay, to describe those global corporations. Often they're called multinational corporations, or we use a three letters there, MNCs, multinational corporations, MNCs. The Europeans or the British call them transnational corporations, TNCs, but it means the same thing as an MNC. So capitalism is dominated by MNCs. It is global. There's really no such thing as a national market when you're talking about uh, understanding the production and distribution of most commodities that we, that we buy or even depend on, okay? We certainly still have some local businesses that provide a few goods and a few services and we appreciate that, but the system is, trust me, dominated by MNCs, okay? Now, what we have historically is you've been told that the free market system encourages startups and competition, new businesses, startups, 
okay? Entrepreneurship, to use the fancy French word, encourages startups or entrepreneurship, and it's open to competition and so on and so forth. And that through the free market system and uh, open competition, uh, we should see lots, we should see uh, lots of competition, more and more businesses over time. All right. The history of capitalism shows that for a brief period, the free market system did encourage new startups, lots of entrepreneurship, but over time, okay, that's disappeared. Okay, and I won't go into you. There's some very fine histories of capitalism and so on to point to, uh, you can point to or refer to to show you that competition declines and there are fewer and fewer businesses out there, not more and more. And in fact, most importantly, there's fewer and fewer corporations out there. They tend to merge and combine and lower competition, even in some industries, uh, eliminate competition. And sometimes this is referred to as the tendency or the direction towards monopoly. Monopoly, remember that game we used to play maybe? Okay, where you eliminate competitors and uh, you hope that eventually one player pretty much controls the economy. That's monopoly. Monopoly mono means one. We're not there really, you know, with one or two possible exceptions, but we are into a global economy that you could say is an ola, O-L-I-gopoly, oligopoly, and that means control or domination by a few, okay? And uh, most industries, Okay, many industries will have five or six or seven corporations that dominate, have, you know, 60, 70, 80% of the market out there. Okay, whatever it might be, electronics, cars, chemicals, uh, uh, and so on. Okay, there's even a, you can, an oligopoly really, even in the big financial institutions of the world, global banks, and so on. So competition has been reduced. And what we see is a tendency towards monopoly, although uh, really it's more accurate to say in most industries and in most sectors of the economy, uh, we have a few corporations that dominate, not just one. So we're not really at monopoly for most uh, sectors of the economy yet, but the trajectory is there, okay? Now, with that tendency towards monopoly, we have the concentration of wealth. The concentration of wealth is a result of this trajectory towards monopoly. That means fewer and fewer capitalists, corporate capitalists, you have greater and greater amounts of wealth. And you may have heard various studies on this. One of the things to do if you get a chance is you can pull it up on YouTube, Netflix. It's a film called Inequality for All. Inequality for All, very clear, understandable film by a award-winning scholar, Robert Reich, who has as this uh, you know, big shot endowed chair professor uh, at Cal Berkeley, okay? And it's a lovely film, lots of data and charts to make the case for you about how wealth is being concentrated and how there's this growing class inequality that we mentioned at the very beginning of this lecture, okay? Now, how do they merge? Let's talk about that. Uh, how does one corporation buy out or take over another corporation? 
Okay, how does that happen? Let me give you a classic example, example that, that, that scholars like to point to. Exxon and mobile are big, used to be great, big, highly competitive oil companies. Exxon and mobile, okay? And uh, they became one. They're the same corporation. Two corporations became one. They are Exxon, mobile, uh, hyphen, mobile now. How did that happen? Well, here's what they did. They did what's called a stock swap, stock swap to create an interlocking directorate. Stock swap to create an interlocking directorate. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means the board of directors at mobile, these are the chief stockholders. Remember we mentioned that earlier? Board of directors of any corporation is the big stockholders. Okay, so the stockholders at mobile Okay, talked to the stockholders at Exxon and said, hey, listen, why don't we swap stock? And then we, we can become uh, one board of director effectively. So mobile board members can become Exxon board members. Exxon board members can become mobile. So in effect, in reality, the board, the director of uh, board of directors at mobile also become directors at Exxon and vice versa creating essentially one board of director, effectively creating one giant oil company. And they are giant. It's mobile Exxon. It's not mobile and Exxon, separate competitors. No, no, one giant corporation together. Okay, and this has happened in every industry. This is called mergers, mergers. And where they're big corporations that merge, you know what they call them cleverly, mega mega mergers, mega mergers. This just means really big mergers, big corporations, okay? All right, and, 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 and there are a number of examples, okay? Uh, auto industry, oil, chemicals, uh, you name it, okay? There's been mergers and okay, that's one way. The other is a buyout. This is called sometimes a hostile takeover where one corporation goes to the stockholders of the others and makes a hell of a uh, uh, an offer. We'll we'll buy all your stock. We'll give you a hell of a price for every stock you own over in this corporation. And so all the stockholders or a big part of the stockholders over here in this corporation sell to a rival competitive corporation. And in effect, this corporation now owns the other corporation. Okay, that's a stock takeover, and it's a hostile takeover because usually there are stockholders that don't want to sell but there are enough due that the rival corporation, the buyer gets control because they have a majority of stock that they purchased, okay? And that gives you control of the board because control of a board is based on how much stock you own. So if I've got 50, uh, 51, 52% of the stock in a corporation, I can control the board, which means I can essentially control the corporation. So what I've done sometimes is this corporation will buy control of the stock uh, or enough stock to control this corporation over here. Okay, that's a takeover, stock takeover. Sometimes it's hostile, okay, it's not friendly because there are stockholders that might resist and so on and so forth. It's a little different than the merger I described to you, which is a friendly uh, combination, okay, to create uh, one from two. Okay, so mergers, 
And this has been going on. In fact, uh, some economists especially describe the late 1990s and even into the 21st century, call this uh, merger mania. Merger mania, these mergers are all over. It's giant global corporations, okay, and so on and so forth. All right, and what this does further is it creates, puts more and more capital investment into fewer and fewer hands, which then automatically creates a concentration of wealth in fewer and fewer hands. This is incredible reserves in capital and money and so on, stock, whatever. Concentration of capital in fewer and fewer hands. Concentration of wealth. Wealth especially as capital. More and more people, fewer and fewer people own more and more capital. Fewer and fewer people own more and more of the capital in the world, the investments in the world. Okay? I hope that's clear. Now, all right. So capitalism creates an incredibly elite, powerful group of people. We could call them the corporate capitalist class. The corporate capitalist class. They're incredibly rich. They're filthy rich. You know, uh, at least in the last count that I saw, uh, about uh, 200 of these individuals and their stockholders, sometimes their CEOs, the top managers, are super rich because they're not only the top managers, they have big blocks of stock in the corporation that they manage. Anyway, to the last count, there were just over 200 billionaires, corporate billionaires, I mean multi-billionaires. Some of you may remember the, uh, the, uh, the headlines, it was in the New York Times all over the country here, what was that, about a year ago, I think, where Jeff Bezos of Amazon through his control of that stock in his own company, owns a big chunk of it, plus he was CEO at the time, right? uh, was privy to $11 billion in profit, made $11 billion, $11 billion in one fiscal year. And guess what? If you remember this headline, he didn't pay a single penny in tax to the United States government. Wow. <laughs> I want you to roll that around for a minute. Okay. And this, this is the meaning in that chapter, chapter two. Remember what the chapter is, wealth and power, the bias in the system. This is the bias, the ability of the corporate capitalist class to manipulate government, sometimes control government. And some people argue, you know, most of the time, our government is of, by, and for the rich, okay? The government, it is too easy for rich people, the corporate capitalist class, to influence, dominate government, and get what they want. And one example of that that we just mentioned is a tax code, a regressive tax code, which means the more they make, the less they pay, regressive. Okay, and all these tax dodges, loopholes, tax inversions, and so on, that provide the opportunity for these super rich people often to pay very little in taxes and sometimes nothing in taxes. It's incredible. Well, we know who establishes the tax code. We know where all this comes from. It comes from uh, Congress, all right? Congress. You know, your government is control of taxes. 
They set the tax code. They created the uh, town revenue service and the whole process of collections. So this bias in the system where the tax structure is regressive, meaning lots of rich people as a proportion or percentage of their income pay little and sometimes they pay nothing in taxes. The tax code that's created a regressive tax system is a result of government. Well, why would government have done that? Well, because the capitalist class is very good at influencing government. Buying influence is one way to put it, okay? Rich people can influence, and even sometimes we could say colloquially, by government, okay? Some of you know this, okay? Uh, when I was growing up in a very working class community, and uh, sometimes I go back to see old friends and we chat, and I'll go to the local pub and have a beer or two with old buddies, you know, and we get to talking and they're all mostly working class, blue collar people or small business people. And we always kind of get to the same thing, start talking about politics a little bit. And somebody will say, well, Dean, you know what? Money talks, money talks. You may have heard that phrase. It's very common where I grew up. Maybe it was where you grew up. All right, and we know what that means. We mean rich people can influence and even dominate government. They can buy politicians. Too many politicians are for sale, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> and you may have noticed that or come to that conclusion yourself because a lot of people have and they didn't take, need to take a sociology course from Dr. Bray to reach that conclusion. Sometimes it's obvious. And the regressive tax structure where people like Jeff Bezos and and other rich people pay little or no taxes is one perfect example of where money talks because they've influenced government to create these favorable tax codes and then dodges and, and tax havens and, and so on, okay? That's one example of the bias that Zinonites and want you to understand to get out of this chapter, okay? There are other things trade policies, neoliberalism, which is enforced by law, by treaties, which is law that makes sure that capitalists can do anything, anything, anytime, anywhere in the world. That's called neoliberalism. It's just uh, like saying it creates national laissez-faire, global laissez-faire. Remember, laissez-faire just means capitalists should be free to do anything, anywhere, anytime they want, that any kind of government regulation is inherently evil, unfair, and so on, okay? So we have the dominant economic uh, policy, called it a trade policy of the United States, enforced by several laws, treaties, trade treaties like NAFTA, the North American Free Trade Agreement, and there are others. Their whole mission, okay, and other countries have done similar laws, is to make sure that on a global scale, these corporations, these MNCs, remember the MNC, multinational corporations, they are free to go anywhere, do anything with no regulations, no environmental standards, no protections for workers, okay, no right to organize for workers. Okay, this encourages the development of sweatshops. They're free to buy and influence governments all over the world uh, that protect their interests and so on. Uh, and it's, it's the nasty world, okay? And uh, this is sort of the, the corporate globalization of inequality 
around the world and the use of neoliberalism as a sort of market trade policy to help justify that and enforce that to make sure that capitalists can go anywhere in the world, do whatever they want, anytime, anywhere, including exploiting people, polluting the environment, undermining governments, and so on and so forth. And believe me, ladies and gentlemen, they do this actively. Okay, and this may be the first time you heard this, so maybe they're even so powerful, they can influence what most of us get in school and in our education too, because many of you have never heard about this kind of global corruption before. This global bias, not just in the political and economic system of the United States, but the political and economic systems uh, connected all over the world. The, concept of globalization, a global economy, okay, that concentrates wealth, creates ever greater poverty, and so on and so forth. All right, how are we doing? Now, let's say briefly about how does government buy government? How do a rich capitalists buy government? How do they do this? They do it through interest groups, okay? And this, this could be about a two or three hour lecture by itself explaining the history development the structure of interest groups. I'm just going to say a few things. Okay, interest groups is a formal organization. Okay, put together by uh, and I'm going to focus on corporate or capitalist interest groups because there's lots of different kinds of interest groups. You know, students have interest groups. Okay, interest groups that represent student interests. Environmentalists have interest groups. Unions form interest groups. So there's different kinds of interest groups, but clearly. People, scholars who've studied interest groups, it's very clear that there's a dominant category of interest groups. And of course, is corporate interest groups. Corporate interest groups dominate. Okay, so what is an interest group? It's a group of capitalists, let's say, or anybody where you have shared interests. We have some certain things in common that we would like to get from government. Okay, uh, corporate capitalists, we know what they want. They want, uh, they want uh, neoliberal or free trade policies. They want regressive taxes. They want subsidies, huge subsidies go from your, your government to giant profitable corporations. Okay. Uh, the number of subsidies in agriculture that go to giant food corporations is disgusting. <laughs> and, and that's another two hour lecture for another day, how we subsidize these giant corporations, okay, that then overcharge us for food often. And some of them even put some nasty chemicals and carcinogens in our food. And I'll tell you that story. And, uh, you know, the role of Roundup and other herbicides, pesticides, and so on, they get into your food, they're not safe. Um, and a giant company, a notorious company called Monsanto, is 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 uh, already now being sued because even their famous Roundup product now uh, is a very strongly suspected and if you're a French or German it's a known carcinogen meaning it causes cancer. Okay, so they they buy government to get things they want and just here's just a few of the things they get. They get very favorable trade policies. They get neoliberalism. They get, uh, as we mentioned, a regressive tax structure. Okay, it's, it's, it's incredible. Uh, the low taxes and low proportion of income they pay in taxes. Okay, and some pay no taxes like the Jeff Bezos example. 
Okay, they get subsidies, huge subsidies, especially into the ag corporations, but even industrial capitalists get big subsidies. I mean, they're like gifts, just here's a check. Okay, now some people argue, okay, that we spend so much money on defense, right, that uh, the Defense Department uh, expenditures, you know, all that stuff that the Defense Department uses uh, is produced by corporations, giant corporations. Sometimes they're called the military industrial complex. And one argument is that we have such a giant military and we seem to be always at war somewhere as a, as a way to, to help uh, augment, you see these purchases and then profits for these corporations that make all the stuff for the Defense Department, whether they're making fancy weapons or they're just supplying the Defense Department with uniforms and toilet paper, okay? A lot of profits made there. That may be another example of a huge subsidy, okay? That's often unjustified, okay, and so on. There is a film you might watch that makes this very clear, uh, kind of a history of the war in Iraq. It's called Iraq for Sale, Iraq for Sale. And it gets after this with some good evidence, good scholarship, to show how corrupt this is, to show the role of the military industrial complex in just pushing up profits, okay? Uh, often for very decadent, ineffect, uh, inefficient reasons. And uh, I won't go into that. That's another lovely two hour lecture, but uh, just to be aware of that. So there are all kinds of things that corporate interest groups want from the government and they usually get them, often at the expense of revenue that could have gone into social programs like healthcare, like uh, housing, like education, and so on. Okay, and that's kind of sad. Often, in other words, social programs are sacrificed uh, uh, because of the successful interests and perks that corporations get from government. All right, important point to understand. All right, well lobs or interest groups. So the insurance companies have an interest group. The chemical companies have an interest group. The big drug companies have, are an interest group. These are formal organizations. They hire a CEO and they hire importantly people called lobbyists that go to Washington and their job is to sit in, in Congress, visit, chat with and get to know senators, representatives, even to the president and to push the interests of their of the company, push the interests of insurance companies, push the interests of the big drug drug companies called Big Pharma, push the interests, uh, you know, uh, this corporate interest group and that corporate interest group. This is what they do, and they do it successfully. Okay, so an interest group, formal organization. They have lobbyists, they have a CEO, they have their own board of director. They also create think tanks that do research for the interest groups and they actually write uh, legislation that the lobbyists can present to a congressperson, a senator, even sometimes to the president of the United States if you're a big enough interest group with enough clout, uh, meaning money, okay? And uh, so interest groups, lobbyists, Okay, think tanks, think tanks are researchers that the interest groups employ to uh, actually write legislation quite often. For example, the famous Cato Institute, which is a corporate interest, uh, represents, it's a corporate think tank 
and various corporate interest groups fund the Cato Institute. Cato Institute is a think tank. They actually wrote most of the legislation promoted during both of the Bush administrations and much of the Reagan administration, the Cato Institution, uh, Institute and other think tanks often write the legislation. They write it up and then the lobbyist goes to the House of Representatives or the Senate and hands it to friendly for sale politicians and then they promote the legislation often successfully. And that's why corporations have these favorable tax rates, neoliberal policies, subsidies, grants, and the list goes on. Uh, incredible funding, almost it seems unlimited funding for the military industrial complex and so on. All right. So interest groups, think tanks. Also, they're very good now in manipulating the media. Corporations are very good at manipulating the media, okay, to present their interests. Uh, of course, some of you know Rupert Murdoch, one of the richest corporate capitalists in the world, owns Fox TV. And, you know, Fox News, uh, we believe, is essentially a corporate-dominated uh, media that can, uh, you know, manipulate people, shape consciousness, and so on in the way they present the world, and so on. A lot of these, uh, some people refer to it right now as even a, a version of Trump TV, because they seem to mindlessly support Trump and big business and, and, and so on. Okay, some of you may have heard that, that, that comment or that criticism again. So social media, mass media, is often influenced by the interests uh, of corporations. And it all starts with this incredible wealth that they have, you see, to expand with their interest groups and into media, advertising. Oh my, they do manipulate us, ladies and gentlemen, with, with advertising, whether you recognize it or not. Okay, and there's good scholarship to show how we as consumers are often manipulated by massive continual doses of uh, advertising, right down to our self-concept. Okay, there's this wonderful film, some of you may have seen it, called Killing Us Softly. Killing Us Softly, and it is about how uh, corporate advertising, you see, even manipulates uh, the uh, concept that, that women have of themselves, manipulating women's consciousness to sell them all kinds of bullshit. They do this to men too, of course, <laughs> but they really target women, manipulating concepts of beauty and acceptability, what is sexy and so on, what it means to be an acceptable, attractive woman. They manipulate that consciousness to maximize the sale of commodities. And there is not only some material damage, but some psychological damage as the, rate, as the result of this uh, manipulation uh, of women. And they do it to men too, manipulating whatever we think is masculine. You gotta have this kind of product, that product, okay? To be a real man, to be acceptable, to be hip, to be cool, okay? And so on, you gotta keeping up with the Joneses kind of thing, conspicuous consumption where you always got to buy stuff. George Carlin, one of the great comics of all time, died a number of years ago. Maybe some of you have seen George do his routine, had this routine called Stuff. And it's how we're manipulated just to buy stuff, buy stuff, buy stuff. Okay. Uh, you know, we can't be happy unless we're shopping. 
right? We've got to have something new, keeping up with the Joneses, the newest electronics, the newest car, the newest fashion. It never seems to end, all right? It was, it was sort of the critique here of a consumer culture, often promoted at least by corporate advertising. And I'm sure some of you can relate to that. Probably some of you experienced or heard this argument before. Okay, so let's pull this together, all right? Wealth creates a bias and wealth is created by the uh, mechanisms, the structure, the process of corporate capitalism, concentrates wealth, eliminates competition. So greater and greater capital wealth is in fewer and fewer hands. With this wealth, they're able to influence, dominate government at times. They're even able to influence uh, even our, uh, our culture in the sense that we are, a big part of our culture is a consumer culture. Okay, we're just always thinking about, I gotta buy something else, buy something else, something bigger, better, faster, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I gotta keep up with my friends and neighbors and cronies and, and, and buy what they got. One of the latest is how many cell phones have you had now? Five, six, seven, you know, Apple manipulates you every couple of years. There's a new function, you know, a new ability and they don't make these phones so that you can add it on to an existing phone. Oh, hell no, you gotta buy a whole new phone. This is called planned obsolescence, just to get you to buy a new phone every 18 months, 24 months, and a lot of people do. And it's, it's wonderful, they're wonderful devices, but do they need to manipulate us that way? Okay, could they use an existing phone and put a little new chip in it or some little uh, change so that you could get the new function which you might like to have. There are ways, better ways to deal this than this planned obsolescence where you toss your phone and you got to go buy a new one. And I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Okay, if you've been involved at all in our consumer society. All right. So they manipulate us. This is part of the bias. They can manipulate your government and get what they want often at the expense of social programs. That means always means when they get all these perks through government, that's less money, that's less revenue for things that we might need like, like schools and healthcare and housing. Okay, food, can we end hunger in America finally, you suppose? Okay, and so there's a price to be paid by this bias. Okay, the ability of capitalists to manipulate our government too often, all right? And this great growing class inequality, it's really sad. It's really sad. There's more and more people struggling. Okay, more and more people stuck with, with minimum wage jobs, jobs with little or no benefits, you know, not much of a future, you know, underemployment, meaning you're not making a living wage, not really making ends meet with your job is growing dramatically in the United States. Growing class inequality and this class inequality in part is uh, the basis of uh, greater wealth. The cheaper your labor in any business, the greater your profits. Cheaper the labor, the greater the profits because labor in many industries is still a serious cost of production, cost of doing business. So the cheaper your labor, the higher your profits. Why do you think they make all that stuff in Chinese sweatshops, okay? They're not doing the Chinese a favor, no matter what some business professor might tell you, they're not doing the Chinese a favor. They're not doing you a favor either, buying a Nike shoe here. The markup on those shoes is often anywhere from 300 to 
So that cheap labor in China to make your Nike shoe is not manifest in a lower price shoe for you in the United States because of this incredible markup. That cheap labor just makes Nike more and higher profits. Okay, let's get it straight. All right, if you want me to debate a business professor, you set it up, I'll be there early. Okay, anyway, and uh, a little bit of arrogance there, is that okay? So I think we had, we've got it. Wealth and bias in the system, all right? Uh, development of capitalism, creating ever greater class inequality, and this creates a bias in our society, a political bias, a, uh, an ideological bias, because we're all told that neoliberalism is the best thing since mom and apple pie and popcorn. Our cultural bias, we're all manipulated to buy, buy, buy. Uh, you know, uh, Americans are into, I hear these numbers that are scary, over $2 trillion in, in, in consumer credit debt. You know, that's not good. You know, it's not good. All right. So uh, this is the bias in the system, society as a whole. Right? And this is what they want you to see. This is a huge growing social problem for obviously most of us, the overwhelming majority of us that Zinnonitsen uh, wants you to know about. All right. Now, uh, you can ask me questions through Canvas, or if you just want to send me a woo email and ask me questions about this, that's cool, right? But read that chapter carefully. Listen to this lecture. I hope you understood it. I tried to make it, you know, extra clear uh, and so on. And I'm going to presume that what I've said today here, this ain't rocket science. This is pretty basic, and I know you can understand it. I want you to beware of this awful class inequality that's taking over our country and our society, taking over the world. And it's not good for most of us. And how do we stop it? Well, that's a discussion and lecture for another day, maybe. Okay, so uh, I'm gonna sign off and uh, uh, have a great day. Uh, I'm gonna probably go sit in my patio and drink a beer uh, and play with my little dog. Some of you seen my little dog, little white Scotty Bonnie and so on. Okay, so have a good one, and uh, I'll see you soon, probably.